The recording is in progress now. Yeah, thank you. It asked for my permission. Oh, well, did you give permission? No. Yeah, yeah, I did. No, I now I have the little record button. Oh, yeah? I was uh, just practicing my podcaster voice. Oh, Lord, I should do that. Oh. I sound way different and I feel stupid. Welcome to the nightly news. Well, at least you all have underwear in your background. I was thinking that we have to come up with a theme song. Like, because well, every podcast <laughs> every podcast has like a like a song. A jingle. Well, I mean, you know, my favorite murder is just Karen singing my favorite murder to a guitar. Really? <laughs> it doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah. You never heard the theme? No. It's the original theme from like six six years ago now yeah it becomes nostalgic I feel like you can't change a jingle once you have it like well and then at the end of the podcast even though now he's died um Karen's cat Elvis at the end they always said Elvis want a cookie and he'd go meow and that's still the I would love it if we actually became popular enough to get in a lawsuit for using someone's TikTok song (laughs) god yeah that'd be cute do you think we've delayed the inevitable long enough? My cat's, can you hear my cat yelling? Yeah, the cat's going to be an inevitable part of this podcast, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Also, my grandma barging in is probably going to be an inevitable part of this podcast. She will, at some point, walk in. Maybe not today, well, but. Well, me and dad have already had the turn off the freaking TV discussion. Oh, there's no telling anyone to turn off the TV in this house. Um, That would get me kicked out. So sorry if anyone has like supersonic earring. So they got home at like seven Mm -hmm. and dad broke his neck getting to the freaking couch to watch TV. What for? (laughs) Just so that you couldn't watch it? No, just because he has to watch TV as if there's not other things you can. Never mind. Feel free to keep this in, just a little context on. <laughs> just you talking about your dad that no one else knows. Um, yeah, it. trust me, it's a common occurrence. He was just gone for a week. That was like the most peaceful week I've had in years. <laughs> Is your dad going to be listening to this podcast? God, no. No? He doesn't know no. about it? He knows about it. He does not know how to act access it and he does not know how to figure out how to access it which is key but does he know how to bug you long and hard enough to get you to teach him no because he knows better than that I started off at a very young age figuring out that by saying and that I have no idea how to work this that eventually he'll just give up he's like you know if you do something bad enough enough times people won't keep asking you to do it yes I figured out that with my grandparents' dog that... uh, Just let it crap everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) No, 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 no. He always is begging for food. But if you try to give him something that he doesn't like, he'll like leave you alone and go to someone else because he's like, oh, she's trying to give me like gross stuff. And he's very picky. So today... He wanted my bacon for breakfast. And so I tried to give him an orange peel and he like put his little snout up and started begging my grandpa instead. Also point out the background noise of this is not me 
popping a top. It's my drink. That's not beer, but I have to water? drink constantly. It is flavored water. Oh, because you've got in like a that, shaker cup. That weird thing where you don't like the way that water tastes, right? Well, yeah. Well, when you drink, you know, six bottles a day, you want a little flavor. My coach tells me what I put in it is not healthy, which obviously, but I can't function with just plain water. Better than not drinking enough, I would say. Do you use Let's those little back. Mio things? The little. Oh no, that's far healthier than what I put in it. I put it in like Kroger brand. You can't pronounce anything on the label. That's what I go for. I go for cheap because I squeak when I walk. <laughs> so we're going to start this. Yeah. For so the three I people thought, that will listen. I thought, I thought we already started. I thought this was okay. Our yeah. before podcast okay, banter. Um, what, what, is your, uh, what is your background there, cousin? Um, we are related. <laughs> you won't be able to tell. We're calling each other cousin now. <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination that we're related, but we share right. blood. Um, well, I am Mina. Um, and what is interesting about me? I have zero like credentials that give me the the right to even talk about crime or history or culture in any way shape or form but uh other than I listen to um almost as many podcasts as you do (laughs) I have a vast and unreliable resume (laughs) (laughs) you're like about to break the Guinness world record for most podcasts listened to (laughs) what what was the first podcast you listened to do you remember it's embarrassing oh no it's not like um, comments by celebs, huh? Because no, I do no, listen no. to that. It's it's <laughs> just that it's literally the first podcast that everyone has ever listened to. Can you take a guess? Serial. Yeah. So That's the first I, one listened, I listened to. I listened to This American Life before it was like a podcast. I listened to it on NPR when it came on with my friend, uh, my friend's mom, my best friend growing up. Her mom introduced me to This American Life. So um, I already loved Solid. that. And then my best friend's mom started listening to Serial and told me about it. And we listened to it like as the episodes were coming out. So we would talk about it each week and be like, do you think he did it? What? You know, trying to solve yeah. the, the whole thing. And, um, but then I didn't listen to any other true crime podcasts after that. Cause like there really weren't a lot of good ones like there are now there wasn't a huge that was like the good one and then I started doing like cleaning jobs and I needed stuff to listen to so I listened to um radio lab and like reply all and those types of story podcasts too those are my top of the line favorite invisibilia revisionist history like mm, the who, good ones would it yeah the great ones and then then like I binge on true crime podcasts episodic ones Um, but you got a little more um real world not real world experience but um yeah I've been the victim of a true crime yeah (laughs) yeah. or the perpetrator (laughs) yeah more more likely um no I was going to say you're more traveled I I would say I'm more traveled in the continental U.S. and you're more world traveled 
Yeah. So we're both like really interested in how events in history influence us today, influence our cultures. So um, about seven years ago, I started learning Chinese. And inevitably, when you learn a language, you learn a lot about the culture. There's still so much I don't know, so much I don't understand. I would not call myself an authority, but I don't think anybody who's not from a certain culture can consider themselves an authority, but it's given me a lot of perspective. I lived in China for a little while, and it helps me see how many things I thought were just human. They were just, everybody thought that way. Everybody felt that way. And I found out it was totally just the fact that I was born in America and nothing, it was not human at all. Oh, that's whiplash. <laughs> like a, like the concept of like personal space, totally the bubble thing. We like Americans, Europeans, like Western cultures are so like concerned with like their individuality, their right, their personal space. And there are other cultures in the world that like, that's not one of their top values. It's not really what's important to them. Generally speaking, you can't speak for each individual, but you just find out how much you're just influenced by the way. The way you're raised. Yeah. What you're raised around. Yeah. And it's so opposite. It really is. They say like, as far as East is from West, like it really is like so different. So I appreciate having that perspective. So um, it's hard to find like any crimes that have taken place in China because they're not well documented. (laughs) China doesn't want us to know anything that happens in China, (laughs) especially bad stuff. But I have been taking a Chinese history course finally. And there was kind of this period. I'm going to talk about this in like another podcast after I've done more research, but it's just interesting how in like American media and things like that, like Shanghai and Shangri-La and like all of those exotic places were kind of monetized for a while. And there was a point in history where China wasn't so powerful and wasn't so closed off. It wasn't a from, dominant. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't such a threatening world power. Because, but, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, I wouldn't have thought of China as a world power and now it seems that without China a lot of the western world wouldn't be able to function as we see it does today yeah it's definitely if us Americans don't want to rely on China for stuff then we're kind of up a creek like yeah without a paddle Yeah. yeah so so yeah that's I do that and I'm trying to learn more about it and it's just fascinating to me um so I like to talk about every everything that I learn and I you know I tell my grandma about it and she's like yeah I'm not gonna remember that like maybe you need to start a podcast so what about you introduce yourself okay so um I can call me Reese I was born in Louisiana uh, raised in Texas, and now I'm in good old Rocky Top. So I would say along, of course, it's different, but being raised in the culture of Louisiana, you definitely got a different perspective than anywhere else in the South, because when we were taught history and such, it was from a 
kind of a French lens. It was from a world lens that you didn't get anywhere else. And then when when I moved to Texas, uh, you only got Texas history. <laughs> and that was it. So um, I was I had always loved history, always have. Um, I think we're opposites too in that our interests lie in different things, but yet they converge <laughs> in odd things. I'm very, I would rather live at the gym than be anywhere else. I, but I'd also rather read a book than do just about anything else. So I probably read two or three books a week. Oh my God, I didn't and know that. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's keep that under wraps. Wait, do you read them or do you listen to them? I read them. Wow. Yeah, I read them. Now, vast majority of the time, they are not um, true. They're, they're, it's a uh, fiction. I read fiction. So then when we were in Texas, went through some things that were tough and I didn't really have anywhere to turn. And mom introduced me to podcasts. She started listening to Serial. And so I would run stairs for hours a day. That was my, how I decompressed. And I started listening to podcasts and it started with Serial and Stuff You Should Know. And then probably the first true crime podcast that I listened to besides Serial was Up and Banished. And that got me hooked because, and I know people have their issues now with pain, Lindsay, and you can, I'm not going to get into that, but I really enjoyed that, especially because when we would drive, we would get work trailers built in the town where uh, Up and Vanished is based at in Georgia. So the first time I listened to the show, I was driving there and passing through these towns and you realize, man, this is really a one-stop sign town. And then about that time, the first episode of My Favorite Murder came out and that was it. I was like, I've listened from the first episode and just about every serialized story that comes out as true crime, I'll listen to. I probably listened to podcast 12, 14 hours a day. It's a little obsessive. But me too. I realized the other day that I, I listened to like 60 episodes, like in a week of this one podcast I was like, each episode is like an hour and a half long. Like that's a lot. I need to pace myself. Yeah. Well, I did that with, uh, when I found Let's Go to Court, it was like a hundred episodes in. I'm like, oh yeah, can't go back and listen to all of them. Um, but that's a little bit about me. And, you know, as time goes on, we'll throw in little stuff. But we also wanted to approach this as we don't know what each other is going to be talking about. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a true crime story. It could be adjacent. It could be a history that you may not necessarily have heard in this light or something that we want to make interesting to people that may not necessarily think there's anything to it or why would I listen to this give it a different perspective yeah and maybe some things will be a lot more famous or well-known than others but we hope that our excitement about discussing these things will come through because like yeah this is what we talk about when we get together that's <laughs> all we talk about we both love it and we both I don't know about you but I don't really have anyone else that I can even talk to about this kind of stuff 
I do, but not someone that I can spend hours talking about it. Yeah. And to have different perspectives. That's the thing. I don't want somebody that I'm going to necessarily agree with everything on. I want to have, oh yeah, maybe that's, maybe it could be that. I don't want you thinking the exact same thing I am. Yeah. And hopefully we'll both be able to bring cases or stories to each other that the other one doesn't know because I love, I'm pretty sure you're going to know what mine is today. I'm sure you're going to know it super well and like have a bunch of opinions, but that's okay. I wanted to just go with something that I had learned about recently and that like brought that level of like excitement so that I would come through. Well, that will be mine next week. So I'll leave it with that teaser. Um, So who's going first? Me? Yeah. Okay. So we wanted to say this from the start because this story could, this could be brought into it that no matter what the story is, if there is a political connection, it may be brought out when we tell the story. We will never in any way whatsoever have a political opinion consider us switzerland yeah (laughs) we are neutral (laughs) don't count us in don't try to draw us in um we will never have a political side to take um we are neutral in that area and i know you agree with me yeah on that we're just on an island of our own we're (laughs) never going to respond to any comments about that kind of stuff and we're outside looking in there's no opinions coming into any of exactly. it unbiased as as exactly. any human can possibly be yep I agree so what I'm going to talk about today is actually from a video um from Vox so let me ask you this because I don't know and I should know this have you been to New York City I have been to the JFK airport for 10 hours um I have never traveled to New York I've been to oh boy the other side of the world this is opened up a whole new world for me (laughs) (laughs) well you know in the spirit of this you'll love this November 9th is 26 years since Bill Watterson announced that he would be ending his comic strip Calvin and Hobbes so in the spirit of that I will quote Calvin as saying I'm not stupid I just have a library of useless information. And that describes me in a perfect way. So what's the main thing people want to do when they go to New York City? They want to go to Central Park. Everybody wants to go to Central Park, which, by the way, was not that impressed. I've been to New York City many times, definitely not on my list. (laughs) But I understand the allure of it so people always say well you know that's it's like the thing that is there that's always been there but that's not the case there's always something that came before in a limited land space like Manhattan to have a park like that is really unbelievable the size of it and but it wasn't always like that I'm going to set the scene for you go back to the early 1800s Manhattan Um, It was very densely populated, and just about everybody lived in lower Manhattan. This was home to the upper middle class, uh, wealthy Americans, and there was also pockets of 
poor whites as well as African Americans and immigrants. So at this time, New York as a state started in the year of 1800 to phase out slavery. They didn't do it all at once. They took a 30 year span. So in 1800, there was 20,000 slaves in New York. By 1830, there was just 75. So what happened is as they were freed, they started to join the workforce. And as is expected, tensions rose because it became a fight for jobs that weren't necessarily there. In 1825, plots of land became available in Upper Manhattan. Now, I encourage you to go and look at pictures of Upper Manhattan during this time, because it's not what we see today. It was rolling hills, countryside, farmland, and then you had the city in Lower Manhattan. So those who were in these positions of fighting for jobs, who were not of the upper class, saw this as an opportunity to get out of that tense situation. Not only that, to be able to vote at that time, you had to own land. So in 1825, a black gentleman by the name of Andrew Williams bought three lots of land and a community formed um, between 82nd and 89th Street, and they called it Seneca Village. This was an affordable, safe place. And within a decade, there was about 300 people there. They built homes, churches, and a school. And then later, Irish and German immigrants came and it became one of the first integrated communities in the United States. All ethnicities got along, they went to the same churches, they were buried in the same cemeteries, and they were even intermarried, which at this time was huge. It was unheard like crazy. of. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that did not happen. And especially not to have backlash from their community because of it. So over the next three decades, the population of New York City quadrupled. So this allowed the white elite to be able to travel. There was money. It was just that era of seeing the world. People were able to go places they had never been before. When they were able to do this, they went over to Europe and they saw the Ponce de Leon and places like this that were revered in Europe. And they decided, hey, we need a park. We need to set aside this place so it won't be overrun by developers because they saw the future. They knew what was happening. So on July 21st, 1853, New York City set aside 750 acres to make America's first landscaped park. Here's the issue. That included Seneca Village and other plots of land that people had developed at about a population of about 1,600. So how are they going to do this? How are they going to throw these people out? Can you guess? Yeah, I have a question. Why did they choose a place that already had people? Was there not a place? Is it because it was, it was in the because central? Because it was of people. They considered them to be lower than. They were the immigrants. They were the poor whites. They were the African-Americans. 
They were not elite. So it was something that they could get rid okay. of without any backlash. You see it today almost like um, I, I envisioned it as how China did with the Olympics in that area. And most mm-hmm. countries do that with the Olympics. They pick a spot that they can, that's of, of a, of a um, poor area that they can move them out and build what they need to build. It's kind of the same thing, which is just proof that there's nothing new under the sun. This just keeps happening. So what they did is they used newspapers. At that time, newspapers were the means of spreading gossip, truth, falsehood, yellow journalism, whatever word you want to use. This was the way they did it. This was a quote from the New York, New York Times at the time. Miserable looking, broken down shanties. It's a no man's land. That's what I am willing to quote. There are some things in there that I will not say out loud. Use your imagination. So they consider them debased culture living off the land. But nothing could have been farther from the truth. In 2011, an excavation began in the area that held Seneca Village. This excavation showed just how wrong those papers were. They were much wealthier than people had assumed. When compared with objects from people in Greenwich Village, which is a very wealthy area at the time, they were using the same porcelain, which was very expensive. They had toothbrushes, toothbrushes, excuse me, which doesn't sound big, but it was not something that was common in the working class until the 1920s. They had this nearly 70 years before it was common in the working class. Toothbrushes of all things. They had a high education. This was not a shanty town. It was a working middle-class community, but they didn't consider it worth saving. A July 1856 New York Times article referred to it with a racial slur. In the same article, stating that they had been notified to vacate by the 1st of August, the petitions did nothing. Everything was seized and destroyed. So there is pre-park history. And though we can't imagine New York City without Central Park, Seneca Village is a vital part of New York City history. And here's the thing. Wealth is passed down through families, usually beginning with land. So what was the effect and who did it affect? The immigrants, the African-American community, lower class whites, and any who had already started at a disadvantage. And this is something that we see repeated constantly around the world. And I consider this just a reminder Just because you think you know the history of somewhere doesn't mean you actually know it. So always look behind the scenes and just dig a little bit and you might find some interesting history. That's crazy. Uh, And I wish that it was surprising, but that's the thing. And, And what's sad is they had a little like plaque and all there that you could see, but they took it down. It was temporary. Like, this is something that should be remembered. Yeah, there's a lot of history that should be remembered. But yeah. 
it's one of my favorite things that I found out about New York and I never knew it while I was there. You know, I've been to the Met. I've been to the great museums of New York, seen the art. And yet that is something that you can reach out and touch. It's something that you can go see and experience that you should be able to, there should be a replica of what was there. There should be something in my mm-hmm. opinion. It's just so interesting because like New York still holds that idea of like this land yeah. of opportunity. At least that's that's the impression that I get as someone who doesn't know a lot about New York, but it's just like, that's where the Statue of Liberty, that's the very point of it. Yeah. So the fact that it started out like that, that early, that early in history, that that was considered a place where someone who had all the odds against them could go and make something of themselves. It's just, it's tragic that it was taken away. Well, and the thing is, it didn't just affect that generation. It affected all the subsequent generations from those people. And I'd be interested to see what ended up happening down the line for the people that were there because they still have like the um I want to say roll call of the people the population and I'd like to see where their families are now it'd be an interesting case study yeah like did any of them did any of them manage to buy land elsewhere make some make a name for themselves elsewhere but also it's just the power of so unfair news and those that there's Mm -hmm. always an agenda behind everything so the people who wanted a park had an agenda and they had the means to buy their way into it and it's just a good reminder that what we see everything we see is a surface yeah we don't it's kind of decided for us what we see and what we don't see in a lot of ways and then now there's such a huge it's so easy to spread anything and it's so difficult to tell yeah then they just had newspapers now we have social media Yeah, now Anybody it's like can anyone make can a post podcast. anything and make it legit. So. <laughs> well, I personally feel, I was thinking about how we were talking about all the different podcasts we like and how many true crime podcasts have popped up since like Serial and My Favorite Murder and how many people are kind of doing mm-hmm. the same thing. You know, they, they're copying what they like and it's just cool because to me, there's some things that, the world just doesn't have enough room for like we don't need like more stuff we don't need more material items like nobody needs as many clothes as most of us Americans own as I record Um, this from my closet and it's it's polluting it's polluting the earth we don't need more plastic we don't need more this but there is enough room there will always be enough room for more art in my opinion there's enough room in the world for as many pieces of art as you can make music, dance, even paintings, even though that's a physical item. And so I feel like podcasting is this form of art that's accessible to like everyone as long as you have yeah. a microphone and Wi-Fi and like <laughs> something to upload to. No, I agree completely. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, that's the thing. And now that I know that you know nothing about New York City, I will be delving into that. No, I want to go so bad, and I have made trips. To, I have made plans to go for years. Well, you know, and years, and I'm like, not that far somehow from New York never City. happens. Also, no, I'm not. And I, I will not. say this: as far as neither am I, but it's actually I found out it's cheaper to fly 
from Nashville to New York than it really? is to fly from well, Chicago to New York. That shouldn't be surprising, but it is. Are you kidding me? Um, what's interesting to me is I've been quite a few times, and as far as history goes, in American history, I would prefer Washington, D.C., which is a fascinating thing in and of itself. Cue the Library of Congress. But if you want New York's like city history and pure Americana, I would say New York City is. I feel like everyone who has been to New York many times always says they like Washington. It's easier. It's easier to get around. It's sort of like, well, I guess Washington okay, well, or something like Washington that. Washington in that it's much smaller because all you're going to want to do is the mall, like that kind of thing. Um, everything else is actually very, um, it's a very poor area. It's very unsafe, um, high crime, um, not what you'd expect from the nation's capital. So I think that's part of it is a limited space so you don't get overwhelmed. But the interesting thing, too, is in New York, minus the Met, a lot of the things you see are replicas. But in D.C., just about everything you see is real. And I think that's the difference. And it makes it a little more accessible. It's all in a confined space, you know. Mm -hmm. So, and plus, I was like the little kid who watched National Treasure like 30 times, you know, a month. (laughs) So I found it fascinating (laughs) that we could you know I'll stop go ahead do you have a story (laughs) have you seen the actual have you seen the actual I have several times in fact I have a copy of it somewhere that I got when I was a little kid oh my gosh that looks just like that I've read the silence do good letters that Benjamin Franklin wrote as a woman scandalous I've done I yeah (laughs) don't get me started see I'm such a I'm you're such like a you're like one of those people who's like into stuff before it was cool. Yeah, like, I was a loser for a long time. I started time. liking true crime with cereal. I liked caring about United States history after Hamilton came out. Like most of what I know is literally oh, from Lord. Hamilton. Um, uh, oh, so when you're talking about the, the Olympics in China, it made me think of the hilarious story and I don't know where you could go to confirm this um a friend showed me a picture of it and I know that it's true because they lived there and saw it happen um I think most of the news if you wanted to get like real stuff is um South China Morning Post I think that's what it's called I'm not good at remembering names but they have a YouTube channel and um they as far as I know what they what they report pretty accurate but anyhow um the area in china where i lived um there are lots of mountains um sometimes they're kind of like deforested and they just are brown and lifeless because they use all of the resources um well (laughs) when the olympics was coming um they decided to beautify like all these different areas of china and so they've got this big, ugly, like brown mountain that used to have grass and trees and stuff on it. What do they decide to do when people are coming? They paint it green. Oh my God. Was it green. at least forest green or was it neon? <laughs> no, it is like, it is like just true green, like 
Red, green, and you know, blue, if green. they would have done that here, they would have painted that crap in camo. <laughs> if you if you if you saw it from space, you would know it's not real. <laughs> like it was so. What's Kaya doing down there? That's why I give them a coloring book. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's hilarious. Um, and there's just stuff like that all over. That I'm not saying this at all as like a criticism. I mean, everybody everywhere is like this to some extent. So I'm afraid sometimes when I talk about like generalized things about about other cultures that it comes across as prejudice. I'm going to say if you live there um, and I know you well enough to know that you love and admire the culture and the people, you have a right to uh, say you're an authority figure. Yeah. And I have a lot of Chinese. I have a lot of Chinese friends oh, now I sound like like <laughs> you're just digging yourself in a hole you might as well just keep on going <laughs> anyway I'm just repeat I'm repeating I'm repeating what I've heard and if it's offensive then please let me know and I'll that's the thing we will say offensive things that we don't realize are offensive we will do our best to be sensitive yeah definitely so there's a word in China that um is mianzi, which is about basically saving face and um quite literally in many people's lives is kind of the most important thing like oh I'll die for you but I won't lose mienza for you I won't lose face for you a little bit of pride um yeah it can be rooted in pride it's just culture it's sort of like I mean it's loyalty to a fault yeah, yeah, it's just it's just the way that it is. It's just so built in the same way that any culture has things that are maybe someone on looking on the outside just can't understand why that's so important like um, to that culture. People don't realize how important and, and now correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I would liken it to people who say, Well, if you're from Louisiana and you keep getting blown away in a hurricane, would you just move? you don't understand. We're not living there for the land. <laughs> We're living there for the people. And if you don't, if you're not from there, you will not ever understand. Yeah, I I didn't understand some aspects, but after living there, I saw how everything is just so interconnected. And we're all affected by peer pressure. And if everybody around you feels like saving face is the most important thing, then like it just continues to go, how do you change something that big? But it's just interesting how that um, manifests itself in different things. I mean, you'll go to places where they do the same thing that happened with Central Park in New York, where they're tearing down this stuff that they see as ugly and putting up a front of, you know, quote unquote, more beautiful, shiny, new, real, but it's not. It's a facade. It's just to look pretty on the outside. Like another example I was going to give is that the area I was in, um, in the north of China, had the president Mm -hmm. come and visit. And it's a nice area. Um, It's not bad at all. But he came in the spring and that's when it like, is starting to get bad and they like released these things into the air yeah makes it rain seating yeah and they got rid of all the pollution it was a beautiful clear day for the day that the president came I was like they literally are controlling (laughs) the weather like unbelievable 
Um, so yeah, it was just, just made me think of that. I don't know what my point was, but it was like the craziest thing. I didn't even know you could control. Oh, no, I've got a couple stories about that, but I'll save them for another day. There's a guy who invented that, by the way, and he so got in a bunch that, of trouble. Isn't, yeah, isn't usually. that the way it always goes? I just listened to a podcast today about <laughs> a guy who had a really great idea, and boy, did he get into some trouble trying to accomplish it, and that's usually how it works out. So do you have a story? I do. I have a story that has absolutely nothing to do with China. Um, nothing to do. It actually takes place in your favorite place in the world. Oh, Lord. Texas. And uh, it also takes place the year we were both born. Good old 90s. 94. That's right. The best year ever. Except for, <laughs> except for these people. Except for <laughs> everything. Except us. Oh, the Dallas God. Cowboys won the Super Bowl that year. It's getting worse. <laughs> Kurt, Kurt Cobain committed suicide, I think. Well, it depends on how you look 94. at that particular situation. People are going to get really sick of my commentary. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So <laughs> that's all that matters. And, you know, I got two sentences one, no, one, two, three, three and a half sentences into my script before I stopped. So, this oh, is boy. Be- interesting um it's all from memory so if I do there's lots of ums and ahs then I mine was scripted and there was a lot of that so sounded good I don't know I I wanted to try without a script first because that's a lot to ask for me and to have that done every week so if it sounds good with that one then I'm gonna keep it that way but um so the source for this I first heard about this case from uh the podcast the prosecutors which I have been binging trust me I know she likes it because every time I talk to her, she mentions it. So it must be good. It's on my yes, list. I, I swear. love it. And Brett, who is one of the podcasters, he's got an Alabama accent. So I was like, I think people will like your accent. Oh, Lord. They like, they love his. You know, the interesting thing is I've lost my accent. I lost my accent when we moved to Texas. The thick. I don't think it's as thick. It depends on who I'm with. That's that's the key. Oh, it's Louisiana accent is special. Uh, just shut up. I, I've got something to say. There's a reason why Louisiana accents sound the way they do. <laughs> uh, we got to do some Louisiana cases because we were both born there. Where were you born? What city were you born in? Were we born in the same hospital? Well, looky there. By the way, folks, we're only 12 days apart. <laughs> she was born on my due date. No, we're not even 12 days apart. We're less than 12 days apart. But um, yeah, you were born too early and I was born too late. We could almost, we almost met in the middle. Yeah, my mom went to the doctor and said, she's too small, we're well, keeping her in longer. Yeah, mom went into labor with me at five months. So I was too small. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll save our birth stories for another day. Basically, both yeah. basically both of us shouldn't be alive. Like, so I'll eventually get to my case in about three hours into this podcast. Um, okay, so yes. Um, so I heard about this case first from the prosecutors, and it's based on um, an actual documentary. I'm not going to tell you the name of the documentary because um, it will ruin the story <laughs> if I tell you, because the name is like kind of a spoiler, um, depending on how you want to tell it. Uh but if you like to watch documentaries, 
and you like to be it'll be in the show notes surprised with no spoilers it'll be in the show notes um i don't care about reese uh if i'm spoiling it for her then too bad um but i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure if any person who loves true crime enough to our podcast (laughs) story you are scraping the bottom of the barrel (laughs) you have literally listened to every episode of every podcast all right so i'm gonna start now it's june 13th 1994 in san antonio texas beverly dollarhide gives her 13 year old son a five dollar bill before he goes to play basketball with his friends So he plays basketball with his friends. A few hours later, he calls his house from a payphone. I believe it was a payphone. Had to be a payphone at that point in time. Um, But when he calls his house, his mom doesn't answer because she works the night shift. But his older brother answers the phone. And so the 13-year-old boy asks his brother, wake up my mom. I need a ride home. In typical older brother fashion, he says... No, you can walk home. <laughs> um, and the, the basketball court's only like two miles from the house. So it's not crazy to walk home. And these are kind of like different times. Get home when the street lights come on. It was that type of neighborhood. It's not exactly in San Antonio. It's outside of it. But um, unfortunately, he was never seen again. And for... Uh, reasons that we'll get back to later they did not report him missing for three to four days it's a little sketchy (laughs) you know anything about missing children cases um the first 24 hours are absolutely crucial most children who go missing will not be alive within 24 hours they will not be found or they will be found dead so as you know this 13 year old boy four years pass and the most unimaginable phone call arrives. And someone on the other line says to the older sister, who's an adult, we think we have found your brother, Nicholas Barclay. There, it is pulling some string in my brain, (laughs) but uh, I'll let you know. I know the name. All right. Nicholas Barclay. So we're telling his name now. They say, we have found a about 16-year-old boy identifying himself as Nicholas Barclay. We believe he is your brother. Um, The last time I checked in 94, they had DNA tests. (laughs) uh, Let's just keep, let's just keep going. (laughs) So they say, they say, we think we found your brother. Um, There's one thing, though. He's in Spain. Okay. So his sister buys a ticket and flies to Spain. And she says that she recognized him immediately. Um, She said, I know that nose. That nose looks just like our uncle so-and-so's nose. But Nicholas has changed a lot. He... Um, is a lot taller, a lot older looking. Um, He's wearing a scarf, a hat, sunglasses, and he just has apparently 
been extremely traumatized by what has happened to him over these three to four years that he has been missing. But his sister is determined to bring him home. She shows him photos of the family and says, remember, remember this, remember this, remember your aunt so-and-so, this is your brother, your mom, you remember. He's very quiet. He's just nodding. And she just feels so bad for him, but so happy to have As you would. And as you would to bring him home. Now, can I just throw in, in their defense, nobody would know we were related. So people don't necessarily look. Yeah. Even as little kids, we definitely did not look alike. So people change. Yeah. And if, if you see, if you saw his sister, so his, his brother and sister, like he must've been like an oops child, Nicholas late, much later. Cause he, he had to be like 10 years younger than his brother and sister. So like his sister could have been his, his mom yeah. almost like she was so much older looking and he, he was little with blonde hair and blue eyes and um he actually looked like a nine-year-old when he went missing so it was a huge change so um his sister has positively id'd him um he doesn't have any sort of form of identification in spain where he's ended up so um he passes a few tests at the children's home that he's ended up in runs for him he goes flies to america with his new passport that they give to him and he is home and everyone is just ecstatic to see him he's changed he's so different um but they just know it's their nicholas and they just love him and he lives with them for um, a while. I, I didn't hear the exact time, but he lives with them for a while. Um, but he's starting to cause like some problems in the family. And because this is like a kind of international case and this kid has gone miss, I mean, this never happens. Like kids do not go missing for four years and show up in another country. It's just this is the worst and also like the best case scenario like for something like this to happen it just doesn't um that they found him so the FBI needs to get involved um they need to know what happened to him and they need to um you know find out who took him if he ended up in Spain, you know, they need to find the person who did this. So they bring him in for an interview and he tells them that he was kidnapped by the basketball court. Um, he was, they put bags over their heads. They were drugged. And when he woke up, he didn't know where he was. And for years, him and other boys his age were um, in this child slavery ring. And I mean, just unimaginably horrible things happened to them. He said that um, they put injections into their eyes and 
um, did all sorts of crazy, crazy conspiratorial things to them. And um, this kind of explained some weird stuff because like his hair was no longer blonde when they found him um, in Spain, but his eyes had also changed color. They Is were that brown. possible? They weren't even blue anymore. I mean, if you're apparently in one of these crazy underground child slavery rings, they've got all sorts of stuff. According to Nicholas, according to Nicholas, um, the FBI agent is just, you know, draw, drop. She feels so bad for this kid. So inevitably, he needs to go see some sort of doctor. So they send him to this doctor before we get to the doctor you know after he does this this interview with them the fbi clearly tells him you need to not share this information like we know it's an amazing story that you're back home and there's going to be a lot of press but you need to not talk to them because that's going to give out the information about this and then that's going to tip off the criminals that that committed this crime Right. By the way, I just want to apologize. Police, Hollywood has decided to pop their fireworks, and since I live on top of it, if you hear the boom, boom, boom in the background, that's what it is. I can't hear anything. Throwing that out there in case. Hopefully, 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 it won't come up. Um. So, but Nicholas doesn't listen (laughs) when people want to interview him he goes for it he tells them like all the details so he shows up on some sort of it's not out anymore but whatever was in like the 90s one of those popular like 2020 type type things he's giving an interview they're telling like this human interest story and there's a private investigator that's watching. And sketchy. He's like, <laughs> he's, he sees a picture. <laughs> yes, he sees a picture. He sees the picture of 13-year-old Nicholas Barclay. And then he's got it like right in front of him. It's like up on the screen. And then he's looking at the one that's now that's being interviewed. And he's like, Hmm. You know, all that's playing in my head right now is that TikTok song, time to do some sketchy shit, gonna get away with it. (laughs) (laughs) Or the, um, how would they know? No one's gonna know. How would they know? Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. So many TikToks. Okay, so yeah, he's like, he's like, this is weird. All right. And kind of like, let's, let's play this like a movie where like simultaneously, Nicholas Barclay is now in the FBI psychiatrist doctor room doing his interview. And he's telling him all this stuff that's happening. And the FBI agent is like, (laughs) Okay, there's some things going on here. Okay, for one, it's impossible for someone to change your color. Number two, 
Um, it's impossible for someone that grew up for 13 years in Texas to speak with a French <laughs> Take accent. Take that one through. <laughs> um, like thick French accent. He said that he couldn't speak with an American accent. Like he couldn't change. It wasn't like he had kind of picked up. A he little like bit literally of a could accent. not speak without it. You know, like if you he couldn't speak with an American accent. And he's like, that, the doctor's like, that doesn't happen. So that doesn't make sense. So he's got a different eyes, different voice. And then he also says that while Nicholas is telling him all of these bad things that happened to him, his physiological reactions are not right. Like, even if you kind of can like keep yourself calm while you're telling about horrible things like traumas, like your eyes will dilate, like different things will happen that, that show that this is a traumatic experience, but he was just talking about them. Like, talking yeah, about like, yeah, like a psychopath, you know? Yeah. Like, like a psychopath, um, like a psychopath, who would, like pretends to be uh, anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. All right. So he's giving, he's, he's doing this, this, giving him the side eye. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> Simultaneously, simultaneously, this, you know, private investigator, he knows a really interesting piece of information that I didn't know. So our ears are a form of identification, like how our fingerprints are. So people's ears don't change. Yeah, people's ears don't change. And so he's like, okay, I can tell if this is really Nicholas Barclay, if I look at their ears, right? So he takes, he gets into Photoshop, (laughs) 90s Photoshop, and gets a screenshot of the Nicholas Barclay. Which probably equates to my artistic ability, which is zero. (laughs) (laughs) I loved the, the, they had this up on the, they had like a little 90s photoshop thing on the documentary and it was like so nostalgic pastel (laughs) it looked like paint didn't even look like so yeah he compares the two ears basically the photo of nicholas when he's 13 and the photo of the nicholas that's giving the interview that's miraculously reappeared in spain and he's like yeah no um the ears are different So he starts following the family. The FBI informs the family that this is not Nicholas and they want to do blood testing. Finally, DNA. Shouldn't that have been the first step? Um, Really, the failures in this. It makes you not want to trust the FBI so much. Um, Yeah. So... The question is, like, how the heck does this something like this happen? Um, because he obviously knew quite yes. a bit of information. We'll, we'll go back and talk about how how all of this came about, but we're going to kind of finish up to the end and then rewind. Um, She's telling me to shut up. No, 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 no. <laughs> so, so, yeah. But the weird thing is that, like, so the FBI, like, tells 
the family, like, this is not Nicholas, we know for sure. And the FBI is also like, how did they not know, you know, like, that's crazy. But anyway, they're thinking, you know, maybe they just wanted it to be Nicholas so bad. And, but the family is like, refusing to give them like blood so that they can do the testing they're like this is our son like this is my brother we're not worried we are not going to doubt him like they're very adamant like the mom they try to get her to give them blood and she like literally runs from the room screaming like okay um well the thing is that's understandable in a way I mean they had been through so much and to have the hope to have that hope jerked away again would yeah, just be at the same time I wouldn't want a stranger living in my house yeah yeah so it's kind of like it's very you can see why the FBI like or the authorities involved were kind of like there were always little things along the way that were like this isn't adding up but that's a yeah, situation you like, really have you to tap like, dance I don't around think you know who your son is um yeah, but eventually, you know, they've gotten, they, they made like the, um, got a warrant, I guess. So now they could take the blood without consent. So they took their blood there, or they had to, they had no choice. They're going to get in trouble. All right. So like the jig is up, you know, like this imposter Nicholas is about to be found out so he agrees to meet for coffee with the private investigator and the private investigator says something like oh your mom's pretty upset you know about something or other and he says you know it's not my mom and he says okay well who are you legit psychopath and he says I'm Frederick Bourdain and I'm wanted by Interpol. The private investigator was like, oh my God, (laughs) freaking out. Citizens arrest. So let's rewind (laughs) to the beginning and figure out how the heck did someone with a French accent, brown hair and brown eyes end up posing as a 16 year old boy by the way Frederick Bourdain was 23 years old when this happened and have you so in other words all that to say he's (laughs) He's an awful human being definitely a terrible person and uh, by the end we'll find out he's worse than you even think he is but um have you seen pictures of him and pictures of Nicholas not the same person no (laughs) very newsflash i mean he like nicholas had blonde eyes and blue hair like frederick Bourdain might as well have been like a you know um african very dark black man like just completely completely different not impossible to mistake the two for each other but frederick Bourdain is wanted by interpol for a reason he is excellent at stealing people's identities and He's a con man and a professional liar. So how did he lie his way in from Spain to a home in someone's family in San Antonio, Texas? And just so you know, con men, like 
I am absolutely fascinated by like the psychology of like conmen, psychopaths, sociopath, all that kind of stuff. It it's insane. Um, and you kind of have like this like not respect, but just sort of like, huh, wow. Understand that's the best way to describe it. Yeah. So okay. So we're gonna go back to Spain where Nicholas has been missing for about three years, three, four years. And the police in Spain get a phone call from a couple that's traveling in Spain that say, hey, we just found this kid crying in this phone booth. We don't know. He's about 14 or 15. He seems really scared. We wanted to get him some food and uh, he wouldn't come with us. The police get there and they find kind of a big kid, you know, pretty big for 14, but he looks scared. His hood is pulled over his head. You know, his hands are out. He's, he's very scared. Um, So they take him to the children's home. Would you like to guess who made that call? Was it a couple from traveling in Spain? It was him. It was Frederick. Okay. Frederick. Lie number one. All right. Lie number two. He tells them that he's like 16, you know, he's a 16 year old kid. He's not, he's a 20. Which by the way, if you look at pictures of him, he could not pass for 16 with, if you have any logic whatsoever, it is is a grown It's amazing how many things go into discerning what age someone is and their body language is a huge indicator so he doesn't look younger than 23 but he could look like an older maybe he could look like 18 just on his own like you might believe him if he said I'm 18 or 19 but then he understands how to get people to look at your body language and he's a master manipulator he is a huge manipulator he can tell what he can read things that maybe maybe we can read subconsciously, you know, and respond to, but it's sort of like he understands it better and he can manipulate those things. That's what that's what he's good at, unfortunately. That's what he's good at <laughs> instead of something else useful. Um, so so he does this and you know, he kind of tells the story he in the documentary. Um, which is called The Imposter. He tells the story about how he just wanted to have a childhood. He just wanted to be a kid again. He just wanted to be loved and taken care of because he didn't have any love growing up in his family. And it's sort of like, (laughs) by the end, you're kind of like, is that true? Or is that just the story he tells to get sympathy? Um, But that's what he says his motives were behind what he was doing. And but he, he gets to this children's home. He just wants to stay there. He just wants to be fed and taken care of um, by lying and saying that he's a child. Uh, but, you know, they're really adamant that they need to find out who he is, like what his identity is, because he's, he's just staying quiet. He's just staying silent. And they say, you know, if you don't tell us who you are, then we're going to fingerprint you and find out who you are and so 
lie number 27 at this point. Like he says, okay, I'm from America. I ran away from my house. I'm going to call my parents. And the thing is that there's a time change. And so I have to call them in the middle of the night. So if y'all can just leave me in the office, I'll call my parents tonight. And by tomorrow, they'll have all the information that you need. All right. So his lies are lining up perfectly with other people's um, gullibility, I guess. And so they say, okay, we'll leave you alone in the office with all the important documents and the telephone and everything. This is painful. <laughs> it's so amazing. It's so amazing. Um, so yeah, so they leave. He's in the office in the middle of the night with no one to watch him. And so he's like, okay, crap, what am I going to do? How am I going to lie about who I am? I told him I'm from America. He calls the American police and they, he pretends to be an officer from Spain, says like, we've got this kid here. He's about 16. They give him, he gives him like some very general characteristics. He says he ran away from America, like all this stuff. And so the authorities then put him through to like the missing children's organization in Virginia. And uh, he gets them to narrow it down by still pretending to be like a officer from Spain and fax him a picture of the missing Nicholas Barclay from San Antonio, Texas. Um, at this point, the picture is not in color. It's a very grainy image. So he's thinking, okay, I can do this. I can pass as Nicholas Barclay. Um, Except so for my eyes, my hair, they, and my ears. You can't, you can't see any of that in the picture. But, you know, they get this. So the next day, that's what he does. He brings that picture. He tells them, this is me. I'm Nicholas Barclay and through a series of phone calls some of which are real and some of which he manages to intercept and pretend to be people on either side he gets them to to, to get the ball rolling so to speak you know the get this Nicholas Barclay that's in Spain back to America let the family know somehow it's crazy it's crazy like what what the heck was on his side like to get him to do this because up to the point that the family gets there it's just an incredible amount of 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 events that nobody caught this you know and like so like a letter gets sent that has like the full color photos of nicholas barclay and like what he really looks like oh crap (laughs) and like it is absolutely nothing somehow he sees that first he gets that envelope first he takes it into the bathroom and he burns it. So they never get it. Yeah. So, but he managed to read that like Nicholas had these like tattoos and he knew that his hair was blonde. So he gets this girl to do like these tattoos on his hands the way that Nicholas had them. And he dyes his hair blonde. I'm like, why did no one notice this? Anyway, so he dyes his hair blonde and then, you know, he's like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get caught. Like he can't sleep. It's like any minute now I'm going to get caught, you know, and he tries to run away once, but they catch him 
And then one day they come in and they're like, your sister's coming to get you. And he's like, oh crap, oh crap. Like it's, it's over, you know? But like he covers himself up real good. She hasn't seen him in four years. And he's just, he just wants to run. He's like, any moment now, this is going to be up, you know? And then she sees him and she hugs him. And she says, you thought I wouldn't recognize you. I know it's you. And he's like, oh my God you know, really getting away with this. And she sits him down and she shows him all these photos, you know, of the family and everything. And like, it's kind of weird because, you know, they don't test their blood or anything. The only test that they give him is to identify people in the photos that he's supposed to not have seen any of those pictures before. But for some reason, the sister showed him beforehand. And so they give him a passport and they send him home with her. And he's like, so now he's on the plane and he's like, oh crap, they're going to know that I'm not Nicholas. Like his mom's going to know that I'm not Nicholas. And everybody just accepts him and brings him in. And he starts going to American high school as Nicholas, the returned Nicholas. Unbelievable. Um, But while Frederick Bourdain is there he starts learning some more about the family that he's staying with um he finds out that Nicholas was not a you know carefree kid with no problems um you know his dad was out of the picture um he ran away several times already which is part of the reason why the family didn't report him missing they thought he was just upset and ran away and would come home a couple of days um he had an upcoming criminal court case where he could have possibly been put into a children's home taken away from his family for some of the crimes that he committed um he got into fights and different things like that um you know he had tattoos on him and you know his mom was like a serious heroin addict as was his older brother the one that answered the phone so his home life was not good at all and Frederick Bourdain is there and he's, you know, pretending to be Nicholas. And now it's all coming to a head. You know, the FBI has informed the family that this is not Nicholas. We know for a fact. And they still aren't accepting it. And Frederick is just like, why? Anybody would see it. Like anybody would see it that I'm not Nicholas. It's clear as day. And so he's thinking about what he knows about the family. And he's like, Someone in this family killed Nicholas. Nicholas isn't coming back anymore. And um, if you go back and look at the facts, it's kind of like that is most likely what happened and why they're in so much denial. Um, The last person to speak to him was his older brother, Joseph, who says that he answered the phone, who says that he told Nicholas to walk home, who says that his mother was sleeping. No one can confirm those things. And his mom and his brother were heroin addicts at the time. And actually, the older brother didn't even live in that family. He was brought into the home to try and control Nicholas because Nicholas was out of control. His mother said, I need you to come live here so you can help me control Nicholas. So this was a seriously dysfunctional household. And the way that Frederick puts it in the documentary is some people did it, 
Some people know who did it and some people refuse to see that it was done. And yeah, anyone who hasn't seen the documentary, like, please go watch it. It's when you see the family and everyone's going to have a different opinion, like, because they did open a murder investigation and were not able to find any evidence. Um, But the thing is, they couldn't interview Nicholas's brother because he actually, as soon as like they started to investigate it as a homicide, he died of a drug overdose. Yeah. And um, this part of Texas that they were in, if you wanted to hide a body, no, it'll never be found. It's no one's ever going to find it. But it's just, it's so sad. It's so freaking sad. Like I was sad for a couple of days after it. Like it's sad on so many levels. Like that you people like Frederick exist who don't care about anyone but themselves and are willing to do something so horrible. But the family denial thing, I think that hits home in like a weird way. If you are part of a dysfunctional family of any sort, you know the power of family secrets and the level of denial that is possible. And it's like the only thing worse than Nicholas being missing is like knowing in your heart of hearts that like your own family member like probably murdered them. And you can see why would they accept this stranger into their house? Why would they keep doing this? They were desperate. Yeah, desperate for anything but the truth. Yeah, and because everybody knows the truth. Yeah, it's just something exactly. that will not be said out and I, loud. I know people have other opinions. My opinion is that he was probably murdered by someone in his family, probably an accident or just a, you know, um, burst of, of anger. anger if his if his brother there. But just the way you can just see it, yeah, on their faces, you can see it. The mom is just really checked out. You know, she she's all faded yeah. by drugs and things like that. And it's not that they're not people who are deserving of understanding and compassion. I could be wrong. There's no body. There's no evidence. But yeah, yeah the psychology of that. And Frederick Bourdain is a terrible, terrible person. He only was imprisoned for six years, which actually is three times the like maximum amount for someone who is who is um an imposter who well that kind of person is just people. gonna go and he did do um, it again the, i don't think this is the real number but some estimates are like he's in he's impersonated 500 different people and i mean he name probably sold name some folks name. the golden gate Bridge, the same too. the same thing though he impersonated like missing children oh so this, this oh so trash. he really is but he's married sicko. and has three children oh well let's not get into the psychology of her i know know. i was like as long as there's pizza oh boy that's a can of worms you don't want to step in he actually oh the worst thing the worst thing is that the way that they do the documentary is like at first you kind of like him and you kind of feel sorry for him because he's so good at manipulating your image of him and then at the end just very briefly and I wish they would have put more focus on this. They are like, yeah, he went to prison, but they gave him a telephone in prison. And every day he would call the families of missing children and lie to them that okay. he had information about them. That's like that's like Joseph D'Angelo calling 
his victims years later you know the golden state killer Mm -hmm. years later and still calling him on the phone that's exactly the same way even though he wasn't a murderer you're still playing the same um tricks and it is it's disgusting so you've heard that story before you know about it um i don't know how i feel about frederick's point of view because he's kind of the one who says that he thinks the family you know murdered their own well the thing is i have a tendency to believe that because he's a very selfish person so if he saw any indication that ooh, i might have stepped in it by coming into this situation and saw any danger to himself whatsoever he would want to get out of that so i have a tendency to believe that just because He's going to do any form of self-preservation possible. Con men, their job is to be able to like read in between the lines. Read (laughs) through. So the fact that he says that, to me, it's not that he says that. To me, it's that's the missing piece of how how this level of denial could happen. That there's a a truth more horrible than just that he's missing. Yeah. I agree. Because, I mean, you know, you know your well, own kid, so. <laughs> right. Yeah, we're going to have to. That only took us two hours. Do some editing. Oh, that was good. I, uh, my butt hurts. <laughs> I'm sitting down and I'm hungry. You were yawning. Does that mean I was doing I was a bad falling job? asleep. It's, it's past my food time. Oh, okay. That's the only reason why. Um, I was going to ask you next we, oh, the problem is Saturday, I have, a, or is that too much? I have to teach a class on Saturdays, okay. so I don't. Okay. I can only do Sundays. Okay, that's fine. That's okay. Yeah. Got um, things to do. Can you do any earlier? Yeah, Sunday? I can do any time on Sunday. Can you do like, uh, if we kept it, I could do like eleven forty-five on Sunday. Oh, yeah. I have, oh that's ten forty-five your time. I, I have my meeting. That. Yeah um let me think i'm trying to figure out when i'd have enough time i could also do Um, monday what what are you doing are you busy in the middle of the day on saturday on saturday uh i could do like 11 30 to okay 1 30 okay do that you want to do that yeah yeah that'd be good okay we need some sort of outro Thanks for listening. Stay tuned next Kelly. week. And yeah, to the uh, people who dug down at the bottom of the barrel and <laughs> decided to hopefully give it a we'll try. get better at this. Yeah. All right. Work in progress. See you next week. Alrighty. Sounds good. Adios, amigo. Goodbye.